So I don't know about you, dedicated listener, but I'm a I'm a fan of the movies. There's just something about sitting in a theater in a, in a crowded environment watching these films, embracing them as a group, which I might sound a little nostalgic. It's something I haven't been able to do in over a year, right? Thanks to COVID. But I, but I love going to the movies. But I'm a movie fan myself. Yeah, huge movie fan. But some movies are just cursed. Then bad luck, hor- horrible stories. Accidents on the set, deaths involved, strange and unusual circumstances. Some movies don't even get made because of the curse surrounding those movies. And I think we're going to talk about a few of those today. Sounds interesting. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So like I said in the intro, some movies, they just seem to have bad luck that go around them. Uh, Some stories you may have heard, some you may have not. I wanted to start with Poltergeist, which is one of the ones that I know for a fact. I've heard a lot of stories about how how the production of Poltergeist was a little plagued with bad luck and and some some unfortunate circumstances. Poltergeist, of course, 1982 movie, uh, had a couple of sequels to it. The original was directed by Toby Hooper, produced by Steven Spielberg. And starred Craig T. Nelson as the father. Which some of you may know him as Coach. Mm-hmm. And uh, Heather Rourke as little Carol Ann, which is a, a tragic story in itself. Uh, four cast members died during or soon after the filming of the Poltergeist movies. Uh, and Heather Rourke, of course, is the most tragic. She was a very, very young girl. Uh, I don't remember the exact age when she died, but she had just just started age in life. Age of 12. 12. Yeah. And again, very pretty young girl and and unfortunately just she died i think of congenital intestinal issues is what i came across she was she was misdiagnosed with crohn's disease in 1987 and she fell ill in the 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 next year after that uh but they assumed that she just had the flu and then then one day later she collapsed and had suffered from a cardiac arrest she was airlifted to the hospital and she died during an operation to correct a bowel obstruction. Like you said, it was believed that she had always been suffering from this congenital bowel abnormality, but it had never been properly diagnosed. So, unfortunately, they missed it. And again, 12 years old. I mean, younger than my daughter is now. Right, right. Then you have uh, Dominique Dunn, who played the older sister, Dana. In 1982, she separated from her partner, John Sweeney. In November, so the same year this movie was released, uh, he showed up at her house, begging her to take him back. She refused. Apparently, that relationship was not for her. He grabbed her by the neck and choked her until she was unconscious, then left her to die in her drive, her own driveway. And I think she was age 22. Yeah, she wasn't very old either. And then if you, you move on to Poltergeist Part 2, you have Julian Beck and Will Sampson. Julian Beck played the evil preacher Kane, which if you've ever seen Poltergeist 2, this guy is scary. 
And supposedly part of what made him so intimidating was that he was actually dying of stomach cancer while they were filming the movie. I remember reading that, yeah. 83 years old, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer, and I mean, he is chilling as a... Okay, but as a young man, I remember his his appearance, it was horrifying. And then his little, you know, God is in his holy temple. Like, it's just, <laughs> oh, that dude was scary. Creepy. But again, he was dying of stomach cancer as they were filming it. He passed away shortly after it was filmed. And then... uh Will Sampson played Taylor, the Native American shaman, uh, and he died later undergoing a heart and lung transplant, which apparently had a very low survivability rate anyway. Now, to add a little bit more kind of twistedness to the original Poltergeist 1982 movie, of course, you might remember the mom, which was played by Jo Beth Williams, is dragged out into a partially dugout pool where there's skeletons. Now, the reveal on that was that the house had been built a whole housing development they, they built it on a on graveyard a, on a graveyard now okay that was i'd heard that but i had heard a twist that after some of this stuff started happening they went back and they looked at the film and the skeletons that they used they actually said or was accusing producers that those were live skeletons you know really yeah. be- bodies yeah know. joe beth williams claimed that spielberg used real skeletons because he because wanted they, a realistic look well one he wanted them to look realistic but two apparently it was cheaper to get real skeletons Cheap props i mean so that you know that was kind of led to possibly the curse and, yeah. and stuff with the movie well and uh and apparently at one point in time will sampson while they were filming part two was so concerned about what they were doing that he actually performed an authentic Native American exorcism on set. He was he was so concerned about well the 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 supposed curse of right the curse of the movie of poltergeist. So now obviously you know curse of the movie. There were co-stars that obviously you know suffered death and, and tragic. But then there was you know Craig T. Nelson, the director, Toby Hooper, Steven Spielberg. They they walked on. They went on did many other things. And, so. and that's that's the thing. Like as I was doing research for this podcast cursed movies i mean when you sit through the credits and and i would say i you know i i watch the marvel movies you got to sit through the credits if you want to see the whole thing you get the easter eggs how many names scroll past your eyes waiting for that two second glimpse of whatever it is spider-man's doing at the end (laughs) um i mean any movie obviously there's probably going to be some deaths that happen while it's being filmed there's probably going to be deaths of people related to the people. There's probably going to be accidents. I mean, when we say a movie's curse, what I kind of looked at was just the, you know, the stars themselves and their immediate families and then strange and unusual incidents which may have happened that were, you know, hey, this this seemed really weird. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the curse of Superman. I know you said you were going to do it and I, I'm glad you picked that. Yeah. One. But but supposedly, if you play Superman in a Superman movie, that just brings that, bad luck on your shoulders. You're cursing yourself. Uh, Kirk Allen played Superman in two low-budget 1940s serials, which, if you're familiar with serials, they played in the theater. They were like little shorts, and they, you know, 15, 20 minutes long, whatever, and you'd have to go every week to keep up with the adventures. Uh, but apparently, this Kirk Allen uh, played Superman in two of those. It just He became typecast as Superman. Couldn't get any work after that. Uh, became relegated to voiceovers, commercials, and, and uncredited roles. He, he never got any real work after playing Superman in two movies. So he was the first person to kind of suffer from this curse. And then you have Lee Quigley. He played Superman as a baby in the 1978 Superman film. He died in 1991 at the age of 14 of solvent abuse. 
Obviously, he never played Superman again. Right. Uh, you have George Reeves played Superman in the 1951 film Superman and the Mole Men, which, to be honest, I didn't know was a I movie. I never heard of that. I knew George Reeves had played Superman. I didn't know. Superman I thought it was more serious. Now, like Kirk, he, too, became closely associated with the role and found it difficult to get any other work after he played the role of Superman. Now, on June 16th, uh, 1959, days before he was scheduled to be married, he was found dead of a gunshot wound in his home with his Luger within arm's reach. Now, if you don't know what a Luger is, it's a pistol. Um, uh, German, I believe. Yep. Uh, now, it was an apparent suicide. However, Reese's fingerprints were never found on the gun. That's a little odd. That's a little weird. And uh, it was rumored that he'd been having an affair with the wife of uh, MGM executive Eddie Mannix, which the stories of Hollywood in that point in time are very mob-like. So I don't imagine sleeping with the executive's wife is going to that, that probably wouldn't help your be good career for you. very well, no. And then, of course, uh, you know, if you follow the Superman movies and then you've seen the, uh, the ones from the 80s, you have, well, the 70s and 80s, you have Christopher Reeves. He played Superman in the 1978 movie and its sequels. Now, he again became closely associated with the part, and he found it hard to break away from the Superman role. He, I won't say he was typecast. He did have other movies that he was in, but he just found it very difficult to get away from that. Right, right. Um, now, he was paralyzed from the neck down after being thrown from his horse on May 27th, 1995, and he died on October 10th of 2004, 15 days after his birthday. Very tragic. I mean, I grew up. Christopher Reeves that, was my Superman. That was my Superman as well, I was going to say. And so it was very, you know, it, it was disheartening to hear about his accident. And, and I think he did his best to to lead his best life after that. Yeah. Uh, he certainly stayed in the public eye for a while. He, he was and became a Superman. Uh, now, his wife and his doctor both believe that he had an adverse reaction to a drug that he was given. And that's actually what killed him. So, And, of course, you know, we have our latest Superman. I want to talk about him for a moment. Um, most people know, if you've ever seen him, he looks like he's chiseled from stone. Um, but Henry Cavill. Mm -hmm. Henry Cavill was actually approached and asked about the curse of Superman. And he believes that, uh, well, he doesn't believe in a Superman curse. He thinks it's all bad luck. And obviously, Henry Cavill has been in plenty of movies since he became Superman. I think it was Mission Impossible or something like that. Yes, yes. And, uh, of course, you know, Geralt of Rivia in The Witcher. Mm -hmm. So he does have a career outside of Superman. And so far, he's shunned that just, curse just or bad you luck. and I sitting here, and I know my wife very much likes Henry Cavill. <laughs> uh, I, I hope nothing bad happens to him. I think he's a fine Superman, and uh, I, I really like The Witcher, so I would like that show to keep going. Right. Now, of course, you're talking about Superman, um, and we're talking about cursed movies. I think another role closely related to the DC Universe, obviously, is the, the role of the Joker. Uh, Heath yeah. Ledger yeah. Uh, is one. Well, I don't have it on our on my list. Um, you know, it, there's there's kind of a myth there that anybody that personifies themselves and gets into that the Joker role uh, may become cursed or has become cursed. Well, I mean, in, in Heath Ledger's case, I believe the story is that he really embraced the Joker and he tried to live as the Joker. Yes, and I don't think mankind is meant to be that sort of insane. That's a comic book only kind of thing. Right, right. And obviously, you have Cesar Romero, Jack Nicholson that have went on. Yeah, and done I mean, other those things. guys. Those guys were clearly. But, but that's definitely kind of smeared the the role of but, the Joker. But even on the filming of The Dark Knight, I believe there was a like a stuntman who lost his life in a tragic accident. 
I don't remember the specifics, but I do remember seeing that while I was reading for this. So there were other tragedies on that movie set, even not counting, you know, unfortunately Heath Ledger's passing, which fantastic Joker. Oh, one of the best. Amazing. Amazing. I'm going to take us back to 1978. And this was, this is kind of loosely with the curse, but I think adds to the allure. That's a movie called the faces of death. I think I remember being, I don't want to say I watched them, but I think I remember, I think being exposed might be the better, when I was was way too young to be exposed. I think the, the movie, The Faces of Death, 1978, just is kind of one of those movies that came along at the perfect timing. I think there's, um, I think there's a scene where it shows people eating monkey brains. Yes, in oh. the diner. No, I was horrified. Uh, but you got to keep in mind now, 1978, this is before uh, blockbuster video stores. Uh, they were, you know, video stores were around, but they were often small, kind of seedy, maybe a little dark. Uh, mom and pop shops. They always had the back room behind the curtain. Yeah, the curtain, and you wondered what was back <laughs> there. Um, you know, The Faces of the Death was one of those creepy little oddities uh, that, you know, as I was in school, you might be lucky or unlucky enough to find well, dust covered on a shelf. You talked about it like it was some sort of... It was like, like a biography kind of well, thing. It was well, legit. You, it was you, real. I remember talking about it even like for years as an older kid in high school. You talked about it like it was some sort of like ob- obscure, obscene relic. Yes. You know, it was like like the puzzle box out of Hellraiser or something like that. You know, <laughs> you're like, have you ever heard of it? I mean, I hear they actually killed a man, you know, things like that. Allegedly, I mean, they were depicting real deaths. Uh, it served as a badge of honor for any, you know, anyone who could actually get, get a hold of a copy and watch it and be able to talk about it. Uh, although the film does contain some real footage. Uh, newsreel clips from an accident where you can see paramedics, you know, cleaning up the remains of a cyclist who had been struck and killed by a truck. It was almost entirely faked uh, by the writer and director John Allen Swartz. And yes, to your point, even the infamous scene where the table full of diners appear to kill a monkey and eat I rem- its brains. I remember that. I remember seeing that scene as a kid. My mom rarely filtered the things we watched growing up. And so don't get me wrong, I saw a lot of movies I shirt- certainly shouldn't have seen, but I would think even my mom, I think she drew the line on this one. I think yeah. I was in the room for part of that, and then my mom was like, you don't need to watch this. I think, I mean, for the most of my part, uh, I was eight years old when that movie was made. So, I mean, it was teenage years before I came across it. But, uh, yeah, it was something that you didn't tell your parents that you were, hey, I'm oh, going to no. run in here to the VC, you know, I'm going to get uh, Rambo and this okay, other one. I'm going to show my age a little <laughs> bit, but it was... It was much like a Saturday night at my friend's house after his parents had left and they had rented the movie Basic Instinct. You don't tell your parents. You don't tell your parents. And, that. and you know, we were teenage boys. We were watching Basic Instinct for one reason. And if you don't know Sharon the reason. Stone. Well, if, yeah. <laughs> Sharon Stone. But if you don't know the reason, I'm not getting into it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to talk about that kind of stuff <laughs> on this podcast. Another one I came across, 1968. We talked about uh, this one a little bit. Rosemary's Baby. See, I've never seen that, I, and I'm a horror movie guy, so I feel I kind of feel a little ashamed to have it. But well, that I mean, that's yeah. that's that's before my time. Yeah, I mean, no. I'm older than you are. <laughs> uh, but you know, why not complete Satan's own personal trilogy uh, with a supposedly cursed movie that predates both The Omen and The Exorcist? Rosemary's Baby is rightly credited uh, redefining the horror genre coming out of the shoot. You know, early on, it takes away campy cobwebs and castles and the old Vincent Price days. This is a grown-up, horror, blood-curdling, nightmarish movie. Yeah, sort of a turning point for horror movies. Yeah. Mia Farrow and John Cassavitz uh, star in the story of a young mother-to-be who moves into a New York apartment building that also happens to be a house of satanic cults. I've seen bits and pieces, and I will say, I'll go 
it's it's a product of its time and and at the time i'm sure it was terrifying but i'm you know again some of it seems pretty campy it, nowadays it gets a little corny when you watch it but the producer uh william castle now he was infamous from back in the 50s and 60s uh, he did all kinds of gimmicks and tricks. Now, some people might laugh at him for this, but I got to I gotta say hats off to him. Wasn't he the, um, the guy that did the tingler? He did floating skeletons. He was known like yeah. on uh, his premieres of his horror films, he would uh, put uh, like speakers, subwoofers underneath the chairs. He would, so yeah, it he would vibrate the, the chairs. I mean, this seriously. He, he would give, uh, what was it, like... Um, death certificates or something in one of them like if you died watching the movie because it was so scary or something like I mean, that he was thinking outside the box i mean we he got was a VR. show we have vr games today that vibrate and do all this <laughs> i mean he was kind of ahead of his times he believed that real witches had actually cursed the set of rosemary's baby now again some people may say now did he really believe that or was this another one of his propaganda techniques? i would definitely buy into uh, option two on that <laughs> <laughs> he was a, like i said he was a showman now during the film uh the film's composer suffered a real nasty fall uh shortly after the movie wrapped up and unfortunately died in a comatose state just a few days later uh so we have that that first death uh castle himself fell very ill uh with uh, issues with gallstones that required surgery maybe maybe not related uh, then, of course, you got the director, Roman Palowski's wife at the time, was none other than Sharon Tate, who, along with her unborn son, would fall victim to the Charles Manson family uh, about a year after the film released. I didn't, I guess I never put the one and one together on that. So, you know, there's another example of maybe one of the earlier uh, horror films that possibly cursed. Well, you mentioned The Exorcist. So I want to talk about that a little bit. 1973. Listed as one of the scariest movies ever made. That's the story of uh, Reagan McNeil Mm -hmm. and uh, her being possessed by the forces of evil. They bring in two priests to perform an exorcism. Um, I mean, even if you've never seen the movie, you're familiar with the 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 vomiting scene and and all that. It 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 too has a stigma of being a cursed film. There were a lot of deaths involved in the immediate immediate crew and cast, Mm -hmm. and then some of their family members. One thing I do want to say is uh, that novel is uh, supposedly a true story, which was this for- the story of 14-year-old Roland Doe, who had spent a little over a year of his life having p- priests perform exorcisms on him to purge him of, of evil, which took pe- part of that took place in St. Louis, Missouri in 1949. Not so far away. So, yeah, I mean, we're not that far away when we tell that story. But rumors stated, even with the film's release, that, that some audiences watching the movie were made sick, and some had even fainted watching the movie. One viewer claimed that the film's subliminal message caused her to pass out and break her jaw. I read that. She tried to sue the company. In a lawsuit. I think they, they settled for an undisclosed amount. Uh, shooting of the film was delayed for six weeks when a fire burned through the McNeil home set. Uh, William Friedkin, the author of the book, claimed that a pigeon flew into one of the circuit boxes. Only one room was left untouched in the fire. Regan's room. Regan's room. <laughs> uh, of course, the, the unofficial explanation is that room was already touched by the fires of hell, so it was somehow made immune to the regular fire of Earth. Also, when they filmed the scenes in that room, uh, when you watch the movie, you'll see that you can see the actor's breath a lot of the time. Uh, to achieve reality, the director actually reduced the temperature of the room so low that some mornings when they would come into the set, it would literally be snowing. 
Oh my. On the set. I had read that. And the mom, uh, Ellen Burstyn, the actress that played the mom, she was spent a lot of time wearing little more than a nightgown and said uh, she has never forgotten the cold <laughs> that she experienced. She hates to be cold to this day because of her experiences on that movie. Wow. Now, I will say I read um, you know, there was a lot of actors that suffered injuries during the film. Yeah. And, you know, minor, not to the point of, of death, but a lot of them. Uh, tele-evangelistic Billy Graham uh, even came in and, and claimed there is a power of evil in that film, in the fabric of the film itself. He even suggests that simply projecting it was like opening a door for demons to enter. Well, when you talk about injuries, Ellen Burstyn, the mom, she got yanked back in a scene with a, with a wire and was yanked back too hard and suffered permanent spinal injury. Ooh, the scene, the scream that you hear in the movie in that scene is her legitimate scream of fear and pain, not understanding, you know, that she had suffered permanent injury. And later on, Linda Blair, who pay, played young Reagan, mm -hmm. she injured her back when a piece of the rigging that, that uh, on her moving bed broke as a result of the violent movements required for the movie. You know, in the, in the actual movie, the bed bounces around and levitates and such. When the film premiered, Lightning struck a 400-year-old cross atop a nearby 16th century church. And uh, I feel like lightning strikes send a powerful message when you're was, messing with those That was in of, Rome, I yeah. believe, of all places for a cross to get and like, struck like by lightning. Like you said, now there were many deaths that surround the film. I think some people say as many as nine in the immediate cast and crew. But there was a night watchman who worked on the set that passed away while they were filming. One of their special effects ex experts passed away. Linda Blair's grandfather passed away while they were filming. Uh, Max von Sydow's brother, he was one of the exorcists, the older exorcist. Uh, actor Jack McGowan died from the flu shortly thereafter. He played Burke Dinnings in the in the movie. And then Vasiliki Maliaros, hope I said that right, <laughs> played uh, Father Karras' mother. Uh, she died from natural causes. And then uh, not quite, you know, this he didn't quite die, but the son of uh, actor Jason Miller, who played Father Damien Karras, was nearly killed in a motor ac motorcycle accident while they were filming the movie. Quite a lot. Quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, and again, like I said, you look at the credits of a movie, there's hundreds or thousands of people even that work on a movie, and I'm sure movie crews were much smaller back in those days, and maybe that's why it seems like a curse. But just, I mean, just the numbers, yeah. you know, people are going to pass on. Another one I came across is called Cannibal Holocaust. This oh. is 1980. Have you ever seen Cannibal Holocaust? I haven't saw this film. I'm going to tell you, um, and I'm glad you mentioned it. it, it sh I should have put it on the list. I don't want to say necessarily that the movie itself is cursed, but it definitely has a reputation. I've seen Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> to talk about the films that maybe my mom shouldn't let me watch. I did watch it. <laughs> I watched it with my sons. I watched it with my boys. Now, my, old, my youngest son is 16. My oldest is 18. But my oldest knew that this movie had a reputation, and he's just getting into scary movies, and so he wanted to see this movie. And I, I don't know where you're going to go, so I'll fill in some gaps here. Okay. Well, the film, again, I have not saw it, but it uh, is it came under fire for allegedly depicting actual murders. It was an early example of what might be called a snuff film uh, due to some found footage uh, of, of how this film kind of come into place. And it was an Italian cult movie that was built around the idea that this footage was discovered after an American film crew disappeared in the Amazon rainforest and they were killed and eaten by indigenous cannibals. Well, well, much like with the Blair Witch later on, which would be another fine example of this type of film in mm -hmm. the, the story. 
the director actually asked the, the cast members to kind of lay low for a while. And apparently he went to court even. He was tried with murder. I have that And here. they had to bring the actors in to show that they had not been killed yeah, in the I'm process alive, of the movie. I'm alive. But, but you want to talk about deaths on the movie. There are like seven animal deaths that are shown in the movie. Yes. And those are legitimate. Yes. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen the movie. It's gruesome. It, you got to. Uh, they kill this. Uh, they call it a possum, I think. It's it's not what we would refer to as a possum. It's some kind of rat-looking creature. That thing squeals and wails, and it's just horrifying to listen to. And Well, they said the gore was so intense and realistic, as you mentioned, that a few days after the premiere, Italian authorities confiscated the film. Yeah. Uh, the director, and I may mispronounce this, Ruggiero Deodate, was charged uh, with obscenity and was eventually slapped with a murder charge when the Cannibal Holocaust was stated as a real-life snuff film. Uh, it was later proven that none of the actors were killed in harm, so he was released from that. Uh, the film still gets a very grim review, however, due to the intense animal cruelty that was very real indeed, as you had mentioned yeah. with the rat possum. Um, well, they, it was that. They killed a, there was a turtle, a pig... Um, but the turtle scene, they beat it to death with sticks Ugh. and then they, they butcher it so they can eat it. It's, uh, well, a fun fact, the, the <laughs> fun fake, fact, fun fact of this film, boys and girls, the fake documentary the crew was working on in the movie was titled the green inferno. That was what the film was supposedly found the lost footage, yeah. uh, which would later be adopted by the director, Eli Roth for his 2013 homage to that film itself. So it kind of came full circle. And having seen both movies, which I saw Green Inferno first, Green Inferno is an interesting film too. Um, not quite as unsettling as um, Cannibal Holocaust. But Cannibal Holocaust, like I said, some of the violence portrayed there is is real. The animal cruelty, so, yeah. Yeah, it's a little, little rough. We had mentioned uh, the Blair Witch Project, 1999. Again, I think this is kind of uh, one of those movies that just came along at the perfect time. You know, horror is a, is a great way for young talents to break into the business. Well, and again, I think it's another one of those movies that sort of redefined horror at the, at the time, time. For sure. Yeah. Early internet, you know, uh, things. Oh, it, it definitely took advantage of the internet. It, it, I mean, it hit right when it needed to hit. Um, often what you don't see is scarier than what you do see. And it's a godsend for indie filmmakers uh, who have to be more creative than what they can spend on a budget. You know, the Blair Witch Project came out at exactly that right time, exploiting uh, the still, you know, nascent words of the World Wide Web. It managed to cultivate its own urban legend of a supposedly lost cam footage, very similar to the last film we were talking about, that was recovered after a group of young filmmakers went missing. Uh, the conceit of the film being or being filmed on the fly covered over the fact that you don't really see much of anything in the film. And I remember sitting down watching <laughs> this. I was glued to this, and it seemed so real the way they, you know, I, I went to it. the theater. I was young, <laughs> and and I would absolutely be lying if I told you I didn't believe that I had actually viewed real paranormal yes occurrence like i thought that it was real the whole found footage thing was lost on me and now since then i've really embraced i like found footage movies i think some can be really good but at the time i thought that was real well and i gotta say we'd went to the theater and watched it and i was young also at the time younger than i am now <laughs> 
But uh, I remember we were at Walmart and we walked past the magazine aisle and uh, there was a magazine there and it, it says actors and actresses of the Blair Witch coming together for a reunion. And I'm like, what? Hold on. They all, they're, <laughs> they're dead. How can this be? You know, it was that type of believable. Well, and they were also told to lay low during the, the yes. release, like, you know, keep a low profile. They weren't allowed to star in anything else for a while. And honestly, I don't think anybody Any really went out to success afterwards. Now, of course, Blair Witch 2, uh, Book of Shadows came out nothing about a like year it. later. Yeah, nothing like it. But obviously, if there was any doubt, uh, yes, uh, you know, it was just an indeed and then another cheesy horror franchise. They, they released another Blair Witch movie not that long ago, and it was uh, similar to the original with embracing new technology and everything, but obviously had a much larger budget, and I think suffers for that. Now, that original was low budget, and they played around, and, and like you said, they embraced the internet to kind of spread the story that it was real, and I, I thought it was. Um, I did. I, I totally believed it. Creepy. So, so some unmade movies kind of carry a curse of their own. Some movies don't get made for, for one reason or another. And we got a couple of those here. Uh, the first one would be a movie called Atuk, which uh, would be based on the 1963 book The Incomparable Atuk, uh, written by McClellan and Stewart. And it is the story of an Eskimo on his first trip out of Alaska. Now, this is a comedy-based kind of It's supposed film. to be a comedy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, the, in the book, he goes to Toronto. I think in some versions of the movie, he's he goes to New York because, obviously, in America, we don't understand that there are other cities not in America, in other countries. <laughs> so, yeah, instead of Toronto, we're going to change it to New York. There have been film adaptations of this book in the works since the mid-'80s, and numerous comedians have been attached to the role of Atuk. Uh, now, the first uh, that was ever involved was John Belushi. Mm-hmm. We all know John Belushi's story, but he passed away a few months after being offered the role. After a drug overdose, yep. Uh, then they offered it to uh, Sam Kinison. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died in a car wreck um, during negotiations for rewriting the script, which a uh, little anecdote I, I heard when I was reading through this, that when paramedics arrived on the scene, Sam Kinison's last words were, I don't want to die. I'm not ready. And then he looked as if he was looking at someone else standing there who was not there and said, really? Are you sure? And then he said, okay, okay. And then he closed his eyes and, and mm. passed away. So I found that kind of, that was kind of an interesting Bizarrely interesting. Detail. Uh, John Candy was attached to the film, died in March of 1994, and he was offered the script that same year. So within a couple months of being offered the role, he passed away. Died of a heart attack. And then you have Chris Farley, who died a few months after first reading the script. Overdose. Now, obviously, you have, uh, with the exception of maybe John Candy, and I don't remember his whole story, but you do have four, you know, or three overweight comedians who live some hard lifestyles. So, you know, Belushi and Farley both died from drugs. Sam Kinison, I believe, was was a car crash. I think he may have been I drunk at the time. It, yes, yeah. Now, John Candy, I think his was more natural causes i don't know his lifestyle exactly there was another one i had uh even stranger i was told farley actually allegedly give a copy of the script a tuck to a friend he thought might be interested to it was that phil hartman that was phil hartman and okay I, five I, months after farley's death hartman was shot and killed by his wife yeah. who committed suicide a few hours later okay i i had seen his name come up but i wasn't sure how it was related yep okay well well, then you have the novel Confederacy of Dunces that was published in 1980. Uh, was written by John Kennedy Toole. Uh, in 1969, Toole hung himself. Well, it says asphyxiated himself. I assume hung himself at the age of 31. And apparently it was because he was upset that his book had never been published. And this 1969. 
The book would remain unpublished until 1980 when it was finally released. It's the story of Ignatius J. Riley, an educated but slothful 30-year-old living with his mother in New Orleans and his quest to find employment, (laughs) which leads to him running into numerous uh, colorful characters in the French Quarter of New Orleans. So, um, much like Atuk, he's a sort of a heavyweight fella, and so they looked at many of the same actors to play him, which would include John Belushi, John Candy, Chris Farley. They were all considered at one point or another. Rinse and repeat. Uh, now, John Waters was involved in the production at one point and wanted to cast Divine to play um, Ignatius. And Divine also notoriously died early. So, you know, a lot of people associate with these movies. Now, like I said, both movies have the main characters. What they have in common is that they're they're overweight, so obviously you look for overweight comedians to play the character. Basically, both attracted the same actors. Like I said, John Belushi, John Candy, Chris Farley, Sam Kinison, these guys are all kind of similar. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they some of them lived pretty rough lives and, and just add, died young. Add alcohol and drugs to the mix of an un, unhealthy, already existing lifestyle. And Now, I will say, um, this may be just a little bit side side note. There's an old Saturday Night Live skit of John Belushi when they're talking about what happened to everyone after Saturday Night Live. And ironically enough, in this skit, John Belushi is the only surviving Saturday Night Live cast member. And he spends his final days dancing on the graves of the other cast members. So kind of <laughs> weirdly, weirdly dark wow. in, in, in light of what eventually would happen. I've got another one here I'll share. Uh, the Omen, 1976. Strap in for this one. Producer Harvey Barnhart claims that the initial idea for the seminal horror classic, The Omen, came from an advertising uh, executive uh, guy by the name of Bob Munger. Now, Munger suggested the movie about an Antichrist would be really cool, but (laughs) no one should actually make it because the devil was at work and he didn't want that film made. He may have been right. Lead actor Gregory Peck's uh, son committed suicide just one month before the filming started. Uh, Then that same lead actor, uh, Gregory Peck's plane, flew him into the set and his plane was struck by lightning. Now, the next executive producer, Mark Neufeld's plane, was also struck by lightning in a plane coming into the location. Again, that's when, that's kind of weird. When 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 you get hit by lightning, that's, hello, pay it feels attention. like maybe it's God's way of saying, "Hey, uh, the the hotel uh, Mark Newfield and his wife were staying in at the time frame uh, got bombed by the Irish Republican Army." <laughs> so there's that. Uh, the set hired a small plane to do some aerial photography for the film. Uh, it was given uh, to another client at the last minute, unfortunately. And that plane crashed at takeoff and killed everyone on board. Uh, Filming at the zoo sequence, there was a young boy playing the demonic Damien character. And apparently Damien not only upset people watching, but uh, upset the baboons so much (laughs) that they freaked out. And an animal wrangler had to be called in to calm them down. That that seems scary enough on film. Exactly. Now, the next day, that animal wrangler was mauled and killed by a tiger. Oh, my gosh. Uh, perhaps the most chilling results of this curse was what happened to special effects supervisor John Richardson. In the film, you might remember, one of the most startling special effects was a plate glass window that decapitated one of the characters. While working on his next movie in the Netherlands, Richardson and his assistant were involved in a car accident where his assistant was, you you guessed it, decapitated by the car glass now, ironically, legend states the car accident occurred on a, uh, near a street sign that read, 
Omen, O-M-M-E-N, for a town that was 66.6 kilometers away. Wow. I'm sure all of it's just a coincidence. Yeah, it's just a coincidence, though. Now, again, we talk about numbers and all that, and every, you know, there's bound to be tragedy. Uh, I think those are kind of the, the big cursed films. But obviously other movies do have curse, um, no, right. I won't say curses, but but unfortunate incidents. Bad luck, for sure. On the set of Twilight Zone, the movie, Vic Morrow and two children were, were killed when an onset explosion caused the helicopter that was flying overhead to spin out of control and crash into the set. I think they were trying to simulate Vietnam. Vietnam War, it was a Vietnamese helicopter, and yeah, crashed and landed on them and killed them. Of course, a couple of uh, big ones that everybody that I think is kind of familiar with, you have Bruce Lee. Uh, when he was filming the movie Enter the Dragon. Mm-hmm. He was not feeling well one day, uh, July 20th, 1973. And he decided he was just going to lay down. Took some headache medicine uh, by the name of Equagesic. When they went in to check on him sometime later, they could not revive him. His his official cause of death is uh, listed as uh, cerebral edema, which they believe was caused by an unfortunate reaction to the medicine. Obviously, you you can't talk about Bruce Lee without taking it a step further to the movie The Crow in 1994, where his son Brandon Lee uh, died on the set uh, due to, I believe it was accidental gunfire, a live round or something, I believe. They they had a gun on set. They were going to use blanks, and they were using high-powered blanks. And somehow, when this gun had been used earlier, a bullet had actually lodged in the barrel. It was the projectile that got ejected, so, yeah, I think. Yeah, and, and it was ejected from the barrel. I mean, just like any other bullet would be under the circumstances. Right. So Now, of course, that film, The Crow, was hampered by all kinds of setbacks and accidents. Yeah, and numerous accidents. The set was totally destroyed numerous times. One time, almost, they said entirely, was due to a hurricane that struck uh, during filming on the North Carolina uh, coast area. But in general, the problem seemed to have been caused mostly by the fact that it was a low-budget film and they were behind schedule and, and basically cutting corners, maybe safety not first. Well, the, the, the night that Brandon Lee was shot, the special effects supervisor, the guy who was in charge of, of the firearms, had actually gone home for the night. And so, I mean, really, they shouldn't have been filming that scene without him there anyway. Yeah. So, like you said, they were kind of just cutting corners. And then you got the whole thing that the claim, of course, the Chinese mafia had assassinated uh, Bruce and Brandon. Well, I was going to say, I know it, it, it's at least partially implied that, that Bruce uh, was cursed, even, and knew that he wasn't going to live very long. But And, and again, from, from people he had supposedly crossed. Right. Well, Bruce Lee in his last film, The Game of Death, uh, almost seemed to kind of predict it. And, you know, in that movie, Bruce's character is a martial arts actor. Uh, he's shot by an assassin, posing as one of the stunt crew. Uh, also in the, uh, the biopic Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, talks about the supposed family curse as a physical demon that haunts Lee yeah. his entire life. Uh, at one point in the film, the, the demon goes after a young Brandon Lee. Uh, the dragon was released in 1993, one year before The Crow. Now, a lot of people say that demon they thought was Bruce's own demon that he materialized. You know, obviously he was relaying to the United States a almost forbidden type art of he martial was arts. strongly discouraged from teaching Americans. Yes. Uh, you know, so maybe that was an internal demon that he was creating and just kind of battling for what he was doing. A couple others I have here. Uh, movie The Conqueror, which was a John Wayne biopic about Genghis Khan, which I think kind of warrants its own curse in a way. <laughs> right. John Wayne is Genghis Khan. John Wayne is Genghis Khan. Apparently it was filmed near a nuclear testing site. 
for for the you know the whole time they were filming the movie. Numerous cast and crew, which uh, they believe is a total of forty six, including John Wayne himself, contracted cancer from being on that set. And then forty six forty six people total that eventually would, would would go and die of cancer that worked on that movie. Wow. And then uh, kind of to cap it all off, when I keep talking about you know lightning seems to be a message. Uh, Jim Caviezel, while filming The Passion of the Christ, was struck by lightning while prepping for the Sermon on the Mount scene. Wow. So. That's some special effects there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 like I said, if you're you're filming a movie that seems kind of blasphemous a little bit, maybe, and you get hit by lightning, maybe. maybe. Pay attention. Pay attention. <laughs> That's just kind of a few examples of uh, cursed films and movies. Uh, there's lots out there this is a rabbit hole that's pretty deep if you start getting out there but uh we hope that you've enjoyed uh, yet another edition of nightmares on the lost highway thank you so much for the support and listening and tune in soon for more episodes we'd like to give a shout out to our first uh paying sponsor raven's loft that's our family shop here located in uh, lebanon missouri It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for, again, supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in, kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, (laughs) using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.